Father, we thank you that you are king of the universe, uh, Lord God, but yet you let us be a part of your kingdom. You allow us to come and join with you in the work that you're doing. Jesus, we thank you that though you are king of kings and lord of lords, you chose to become one of us. You chose to dwell among us, and not just so that you could die for our sins, but so that you could show us how to live. We thank you that as we watch and read about who you were and what you did, that we see the one full of grace and truth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for setting us example, for showing us, uh, Lord, how much you love the lost, how much, Lord, your heart breaks over those whose lives are being destroyed by sin and death and Satan. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the encouragement to follow in your footsteps, to take the good news everywhere that it can go. Lord, thank you that those who are gathered here today who are believers in Jesus, Lord, that you've called us out of every corner of the earth, out of every possible situation. You've rescued us from every different kind of sickness and sin and death and difficulty and struggle. Uh, Lord God, it's all due to you and your glory. And today, Jesus, we want to be more like you. We want to have a heart for the lost. We want to understand your teaching. And so, Jesus, I pray that today as we study Mark 2 together in preparation for communion, that you would provide for us through your spirit without limit in this place, insight and understanding so that we might live like you and think like you and interact with others like you. We ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So you heard Mark 2 read earlier, and in Mark 2, Jesus is having a meal with tax collectors and sinners. That's causing some problems for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And when Jesus finds that out, he uses this great metaphor, this phrase that really governs everything that he says. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And so this week, I'm not a doctor, not a medical doctor, and so I called a couple of doctors in the church and I asked them some questions about, help me understand this metaphor. And uh, the answers that they gave were really, they were really helpful, and so I thought, you know what would be cool would be if you gave those answers uh, to the congregation. And so what we're going to do is we're going to begin uh, this morning with just a little bit of an interview. Uh, we have two doctors here from our congregation, and I'm just going to be asking them some questions, and uh, we're going to try to think through and talk through this metaphor that Jesus uses. So uh, let me introduce them to you. You may know them. You may not. Uh, this is Jim Hookwater. He is a pulmonologist. He's also on a big billboard uh, as you drive. Is it 131? 96. 96. All right. So, yeah, 96. 196. He's uh, one of the elders at the church, and so uh, we're glad, Jim, for you to join us. And this is Laurel Taylor, uh, and she's a pediatrician. And uh, it just worked out when uh, the Lord laid both of their names on my heart, um, and I started to ask them the questions. Uh, it was really a wonderful opportunity to be able for me to learn. I don't know that much about the medical world, and so I hope that that's uh, helpful for you as well. Now, when we're thinking about this story, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what they're worried about is these people are contagious. Uh, they're contagious, their sin, the things, their uncleanness, the things that they do wrong. Uh, we can't hang out with them, that's their attitude, because we might catch that. And so. I'm wondering as we're thinking through this, in the medical world using this idea, 
How do you go about thinking about the fact that the people you're called to interact with are sick? Uh, they have diseases, they have things that you could catch from them, you could get sick. How do you process through that as you think about your uh, role in being a doctor uh, in engaging with people? So in pediatrics, um, we know when we first start practicing the first year or two, we're going to be sick a lot. Um, and, the, and we get nearly everything that comes in our office. Um, but then once the, that time period's done, thankfully, we've built up an immunity and are much less um, ill during the rest of the time, thankfully. Um, but I guess I, I see um, pediatrics as my calling, and I know that they're gonna, kids are going to be contagious, and I take precautions to help um, protect myself and my other patients, um, which includes lots of hand washing, gloves when necessary, and sometimes um, changing my clothes when I get home before I interact with my family. <clears throat> Jim, how have you thought that through? Yeah, so um, basically when I think about, thought about this when you talked talk on the phone, I thought about TB initially, right away actually, tuberculosis, which is an infectious disease, of course, um, which is not super common here, but as we see fairly frequently. So just like Laurel, you know that's part of the job and you, you, you're going to see those patients, but then you just take the precautions necessary um, that are recommended. Um, so you might have someone in isolation. You may have someone with a mask. Um, you also wash your hands in and out just like... Um, um, normally. Um, so yeah, you just take the precautions and know um, it's going to be there. Um, um, you're going to see this patient. That's part of, the, part of the job. So like how often do you think about that? Like is that like sort of once a day? Is it just once a year? How often does it kind of hit you that, oh, well, these, I could get sick or this is a possibility or is it just something that just never really enters your, your mind? Um, on a regular basis, it doesn't enter my mind. I go in the room. I see the patients that are there for me to see. Um, but that did change this week when you asked me. Um, so I started seeing every kid and wondering, am I going to get that before I go up on stage? But and then the, give it to us. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but every, yeah. <laughs> but on a day-to-day -day basis, it, it's not, it doesn't enter my mind at all. How yeah, you think about it? I don't really think about it at all. It's just part of the job. It's part of what you do. Like you said, you, you have your people that you see um, that God puts in, in your schedule. And whoever, whatever they have, whatever illness, um, you go about them and do the best you can to take care of them well. Because like with tuberculosis, and I'm sure with children, you don't always know, do you, that someone, uh, ha what they have, I mean, they're coming in to figure it out first, right? Right. Is that, does that bring any more? Like if somebody says, okay, well, we know this person has tuberculosis, but do you see people that, you find out later that they had it and you might have been exposed to it or something, I don't know, in the pediatric world where you're like, uh-oh, uh, how does that work? Um, so that does happen occasionally. I mean, you take the precautions that you feel are necessary when you go in, in the office or in the room to see someone. Um, but thankfully, I also feel like my training has prepared me that if I were to get sick or something later, I know what to do. And if I don't, if I don't know what to do, I know who to ask so I can and get the appropriate care that I need. Um, that was well said. Um, yeah, very well said. I don't know what else to add to that. What, yeah. do, you do, when, what, what do you do when you guys uh, get sick? Do you, I mean, is it, do you feel like you're less worried about it because you've seen people get, I mean, you see people yeah. get better all the time, don't you? I mean, you probably have less fear about infectious diseases than, than maybe we do because you see this all right. the time. Yeah, absolutely. You see that there's a remedy. 
Uh, there's, a, there's a cure for sin, not for everything, but a lot of things you see. People get better. You see, they, you see them come into your office, have symptoms. Um, you may not know right away what they have, but you try to figure it out. And uh, by God's grace, you might figure it out and give them a treatment. They get better. So every time that happens, that just reinforces that, you know, we can help. What about your family? Do they, are they worried like parents, kids, spouses, your small groups? I mean, are there, is there any like, are they worried for you or how do you process that through with them? Do they ask those questions? Uh, my husband worries um, more than I do and he um, definitely checks in with me occasionally to make sure that yes, I'm in, t- in taking the precautions that I need so I'm, so I'm not getting sick or bringing things home. Um, but, and my, my kids seem to be okay. I think they just know that's my job and doesn't phase them anymore. Um, but yeah, it's, they worry more than I do, I think. Yeah, I think I'm pretty fortunate. With Christy, my wife is a healthcare worker doing a nurse, so she's used to the same kind of parameters, you know, expectations of, um, of your job, um, going through taking care of six people. So I don't think she worries much. The kids, I don't think so. I've never asked them, but um, it seems like it's been you part of life. Now if you They're want. shaking their head, no. <laughs> they don't no. worry. I think it's just part of what, you know, part of what the, the calling, part of what um, you go through. And everybody has a risk for, with different jobs, and we have a certain risk, and other people have different risks, and um, it's part of, part of the assignment. So does... You, you mentioned calling. What role do you think about, uh, you know, the fact that you're not just a doctor because you picked a career, but that, I mean, we believe that God doesn't just call pastors or he calls all of us to, 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 to some place in his kingdom. How does that factor into this uh, when you think about your, your role as a doctor, that this is something God's asked you to do? How does that play in when you think about the fact that you are going into sometimes potentially uh, more dangerous or difficult situations? So, uh, yeah, I definitely feel that I was called into pediatrics, and um, so I feel comfortable that God is taking care of me and that this is what I'm meant to do, and it's okay if I get, get sick or get exposed to something. It's all right, part of the job, and God will take care of me. Yeah, same thing. Um, yeah, basically, um, yeah, he'll take care of us. Um, if, if you're, it's God's will. Our calling is, is God's will, I believe. And if you're out of God's will, you have to worry. But if when you're in God's will, he'll take care of you. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He will be with us. He's the great physician who can heal us. Like Lord just said, if he gets sick, he's, gonna, he, he's taking care of us through whatever it means. Um, and so, yeah, it's, yeah. And maybe this is a leading question, but we're in a sermon, so I'm, <laughs> I'm leading. But That's okay. What will like happen if you don't help? Like if you get immobilized by fear, I mean, what happens to your patients who come to see you if you're unwilling do you ever just wake up in the morning and think, no, I, I don't want to do this or I'm, I, I can't go in there because of fear? Or is there something about the fact that they're in need and if you don't help them, how does that work as you think through their, their needs uh, instead of maybe your own fears? Yeah, um, yeah, you threw a curveball at us. That's a new one. Um, but yeah, but... But my first thought was, hey, someone's, someone's, God's, someone's going to take care of them. Um, right. If you, if you're, you know, you don't, you're not paralyzed by fear. I'm not paralyzed by fear to go in to see a patient because um, I know that it's my calling. Um, but someone's going to be there. Um, if I don't take care of somebody, I have great partners. I have a community that can help me, my partners, et cetera, um, who will pitch in. And, and then ultimately, God's the great physician, right? He'll take care of them. Um, but yeah, there's um, back. I'm not sure if I answered your question. Um, well, I'm just saying, if you get immobilized by fear, I mean, you have patients that could die if you right. don't treat them. And so... I wondered how much that factored into your thinking, like when you see a sick child or when you see someone uh, with tuberculosis or any other sort of lung issue, like does that sort of, uh, well, imagine you're a doctor because you want to help people. I would imagine right. that overwhelms 
uh, perhaps the, the worries, and maybe that's why you don't think about sickness as much. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's um, right. When I see that kid, I, um, I'm, I'm not fearful of going in and to see them. And I, I don't even, I guess, think about that too much because I know that's what I do. I show up and I do my job. And, and if I don't, I do have partners, but I, I do think I'm needed. I have my part I play. I'm needed there and I need to be there to see those kids. And so I go to work. <laughs> yeah, a lot of... Secret. A lot of docs will go to work sick. So, do you? <laughs> I did not know that. Occasionally, because of that, because of that because responsibility of that. that they feel mm-hmm. to their patients. Yeah. Um, and I think that's um, a lot of pastors show up yeah. not necessarily yeah. spiritually prepared for every <laughs> Sunday morning as well. So, well, yeah, this is part of my job. It's not necessarily part of your job. So, thank you very much <laughs> for being willing to come up here uh, and join. Very enlightening. Very helpful. So, if you guys want to go back, I appreciate that. If your Bible is not yet open to Mark 2, uh, would you please turn there? Uh, page 813 in the church Bibles. I love the fact that Jesus uses this great metaphor. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I hope that you were able to hear that, uh, you know, experiences. I know many of you are also in the medical community, and I'd encourage you, uh, if you know someone in the medical community, Ask them this question. Ask them how they process through the fact that they're often interacting with or dealing with people who might have uh, contagious sickness or they might have things that they could catch. I thought it was very interesting to find out the fact that they don't really think about this very often. Like this isn't necessarily on their mind, uh, that the idea that there are people who need help and this is what God's called them to do. That's, I think, what we're supposed to understand in this passage. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes that we have before we take communion is spend a little time unpacking the metaphor. So the metaphor is from the medical world. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And I wanna think through, okay, that's the metaphor, what does it correspond to? So to begin with, when Jesus says, the sick need the doctor, who are the sick that he's talking about? Well, in this passage, verses 15 and 16, it's the tax collectors and the sinners the tax collectors, and the sinners. So let's start with the tax collectors. Why are the tax collectors identified here? Levi is one of those. But you need to understand that in the first century, people's attitudes towards tax collectors were not very positive. I got a couple quotes I want to show you uh, from something called the Mishnah, which is a Jewish religious book that is codifying sort of rabbinic opinions from around the time of Jesus. So stuff from about 2,000 years ago. And I wanna show you three quotes to give you an understanding. This is how orthodox religious Jewish people at the time of Jesus felt about tax collectors. The first one is from a book in the Mishnah called the Bava Kama, uh, chapter 10, verse one. The instructions are one may not make change from the chest of an excise collector or from the wallet of a tax collector or accept any charity from these places. Which means if you're out in the street and you're collecting alms and a tax collector pulls up in his car and you've got your little sign that says, please help, you're not supposed to take money from the tax collector. That's how low they were thought of in society. 
You weren't supposed to go collect money from them. You were not supposed to engage with them. Another one from, I think, Terre Haute is the book. Chapter 7, verse 6. If tax collectors entered a house, the house is impure. Robbers who entered a house, only places where the robbers walked are impure. Did you hear that? <laughs> this is actually in the Mishnah in this section. Basically, if a tax collector goes into your house, the whole thing is unclean. A robber, just where that person goes, those places are unclean. Again, giving you a sense that tax collectors are not well thought of in good Jewish society. Last one, it's from the Nedarim, chapter 3, verse 4. One may vow in front of murderers and thieves and tax collectors that something is teruma, meaning it's set aside as an offering, even if it isn't teruma, or that they are the property of the king, even if they aren't the property of the king. Do you hear what that's saying? You can lie to a tax collector. It's saying that, right? That if a tax collector comes by and says, what about this item and what about that item? You're like, oh, no, 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 that's my religious offering. Even if it's not your religious offering. You can say that's set apart for the king, even if it's not set apart for the king. And the idea here is that tax collectors, well, they belong with murderers and thieves. You can lie to those people. And the point is for us today, tax collectors represent the outcasts. These are the people of society that society doesn't really want to have anything to do with. Now, there's lots of ways to interpret this. But today, these can be people of different ethnic backgrounds than we are. These can be people who are uh, struggling uh, with special needs or perhaps have received a very difficult health diagnosis. This could be the poor, the prisoner. Uh, this could be the registered sex offender. This could be the person who works at the job that is not well respected at your company. This could be the person at your school that nobody wants to hang out with. Whatever it may be, the sort of the outcast, the people who are at the fringe of society. When you think about the levers of power, these are not the people that come to mind. People of a different religious background. People of a different ethnic background. People who have gone through difficult experiences or whatever that may be. The point is, Jesus is saying, those are the ones that he means when he talks about the sick. It doesn't mean that they're sick. It means he's like, that's who I came for. I came for the outcasts. I came for the tax collectors. I came for those who are working in difficult jobs. I came for those who are not well respected by the culture. I came for the poor. I came to help those who have special needs. Jesus says, this is why I came. I came for those people. I came for you and for me. That's the tax collectors. It also says he came for the sinners. Who are the sinners? Well, those are people that are actively engaged in sinful behavior that displeases God. It's the prostitutes. It's the adulterers. It's the liars. It's the gossips. It's the slanderers. It's that guy or girl at school that's very promiscuous. It's that guy or girl at work who is stabbing people in the back and telling lies. It's that guy or girl, that person you're going to engage with at Thanksgiving whose lifestyle you don't approve of. 
It's that person you're going to engage with who is actively disobeying God. That's the sinners. Now, I want to be very clear here. In Mark 2, Jesus is talking about people who are not believers. Okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we have a very helpful distinction. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Paul's saying, look, very, very clearly, I am not telling you to avoid non-Christians who are in sin. He's like, that would be impossible. Mark 2 is telling us that would also be unchristian. What I am writing you, Paul says, is you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. So 1 Corinthians 5 is a different sermon. That's talking about what do you do if you are interacting with somebody who has accepted Jesus as Lord but is willfully engaged in unrepentant sinful behavior. That's not what Mark 2 is about. Mark 2 is talking about people who do not know Jesus. And I'm not talking about people who nominally are Christians. There's lots of people in our society who are like, well, I'm not a Muslim and I'm not a Buddhist and I'm not an atheist. I guess I'm a Christian. Jesus is like, I'm here for you. This is who he's going to spend time with. So who are the sick? They're the outcasts, the people that society has forgotten about. And there are those who are in active rebellion against God. And Jesus says, that's who I'm going to hang out with. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Okay, who's the doctor? Jesus. Anytime in church you're asked a question, just say, Jesus, you're going to be right most of the time. But it's not just Jesus. And that's the point I want you to get this morning. Notice in verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, so clearly Jesus is there, many tax collectors and sinners, that's the sick, were eating with him, and his disciples. Who's the doctor? It's not just Jesus, it's his disciples, you and I. It's not surprising Jesus told us last week in Mark 2 that he has the authority to forgive sins. It's not surprising that he is actively going out to hang out with sinners because he's got the cure for their sickness. But he also says, so do you. There's this very powerful passage in John 20 as Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven. And we're like, wait, wait, wait. The doctor's going to heaven. What are we going to do? And Jesus says this in John 20. With that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's a commissioning to the medical profession. You and I have been given a commission by Jesus to go be doctors, to go take the message to the lost, to those who are in active rebellion against God, and tell them their sins can be forgiven. We do have authority to announce that sins can be forgiven in Jesus. So who's the doctor? It's not just Jesus. It's you and it's me. And Mark 2 
is a summons for you and I to go and spend time with outcasts and with sinners. Because where is the doctor in verses 13 through 17? He's at Levi's house, right? He's at a tax collector's house. If we went back to last week, the paralytic, Jesus is in his own home. It's actually Peter's home. But that's where he's staying in Capernaum. And he's holding a preaching session. And right in the middle of the preaching session, through the roof comes a man being lowered, a paralytic being lowered by four friends. That's like bringing someone to the hospital. Well, what does that make our passage? It's a house call. The doctor is taking his medicine to someone's house. And for you and I, it is important to bring people who do not know Jesus into a place like this. That's like taking them to the hospital. This is where they can receive a cure. This is where they can receive help. But the impetus today from this passage is you and I are also supposed to go and spend time at their house. We're supposed to eat their food. We're supposed to hang out with them around their friends, engaging in conversation with them. Now, it doesn't mean you go and do everything that non-Christians are going to be doing. First Peter says, look, there's going to be some stuff that when you're hanging out with non-Christians that they take it just too far, and you as a Christian can't go there with them. But the good news is they're going to see that you won't go all the way with them, and they're going to want to ask you some questions. And in Mark 2, 13 through 17, Jesus is saying, look, You've got the power to help these people. You've got the cure that they need. Go spend some time with them. Go hang out with them. You say, now, what about the precautions? Both Jim and Laurel mentioned the fact that they, they take precautions. And yes, we could mention many precautions that you could take. Early morning prayer, accountability, perhaps having a strong Christian friend go with you. Bible memorization and reading, small group participation whereby you can encourage one another in doing these kinds of things. But let me give you by far and away the most important precaution that you and I should take as we follow Jesus in this. Why do you think that both Jim and Laurel, and I'm sure if we took other medical professionals ask them the same question, spend so much time washing their hands and why do they spend time wearing a mask if necessary? Why do they take this so seriously? It's because they know how dangerous sickness is. This is not a joke. Anybody in the medical community thinks, yes, we see people die. We watch very difficult things happen. And the reason why people in the medical community wash their hands and take all these precautions is because they know sickness kills. It's very, very dangerous. It's not something to play around with. You and I, who might not be in the medical community, we think, oh, that pain, it's probably fine. I'm sure it'll go away at some point. That's not what the medical community tends to think. They tend to think, hey, look, we need to think about this. That's the point. Why does Jesus take this stuff so seriously? He knows what sin can do. He knows it's not a joke. Sin is the reason why he has to die on the cross. Sin is the reason why all the things that are wrong in this world are wrong in this world. And the most important precaution that you and I can take 
is to remember we're the doctors going into these situations. And we're supposed to take it seriously. We know the power of sin. We know the kind of destruction it can bring. We know you can't play around with it. We understand, we've experienced what it's like to be addicted to sin. We know what sin can do, that it always, always, always brings death and destruction. And the most important precaution that you and I can take is to remember that. But also to remember that God's given us the ability to bring rescue. Why are Jim and Laurel and the rest of the medical world not scared? Because they know this stuff can be healed. They've seen people cured. The reason why they're less afraid of tuberculosis than I might be is because they have seen people get healed from it. The reason why you and I, even though we're taking precautions, can still go without fear to hang out with those who are outcasts or in active rebellion against God is because we know that we serve a God who loves tax collectors and sinners. We serve a God who has the authority to forgive sins. That even if we find ourselves in a situation where being tempted or led astray, we know that we serve a God who is far greater and whose kindness will lead us back to repentance. You see, the Pharisees are operating with a binary worldview. You either have contamination or you have separation. Jesus comes to show, no, there's another option. And the option is transformation. The option is salvation. And that you and I have been given the ability by God to go into those situations and instead of being contaminated, to be an agent of transformation and rescue. And the reason why the medical community wants to get up and go to work and help people is because they know they can help people. And the reason why you and I want to go and spend time with tax collectors and sinners is because we know what it's like to be a tax collector and a sinner and have God come and reach out to us. We know what it's like for, God, for someone to do that to us, and we now want to turn around and do that for someone else. That's the most important thing of all, the attitude that we have. Well, all this brings us to our time of communion. As we think about communion this morning, I want to give you some very specific instructions. First, for those who are here who are not yet a Christian. I'm not talking about that nominal stuff where you're like, yeah, I guess I'm a Christian. No, I'm talking about if you've not yet made a decision that you want to accept Jesus as your Lord, that you have believed that he died on a cross for your sins and been raised from the dead, we're about to go through a ceremony. In this ceremony, a tray will be passed, and there's a little piece of bread, and there's a cup. Now, if you're not yet a Christian, here's what I want you to do. If you think to yourself, this stuff is not for me, I'm just going to ask that you let the tray pass you by. Just pass it by. That's fine. We're so glad that you're here. But I'm going to explain what this represents. If today, you heard me talking about sin and rebellion against God, if you've heard me talking about being an outcast 
and the fact that God loves you and that he sent his son to come find you where you're at and you think to yourself, that's what I want. If you think to yourself, I am sick, I want a cure. We're speaking metaphorically here. If you're thinking to yourself, my life is a mess and I want someone to show up and rescue me from it. What you hold in your hand, that little bread in that cup, that's not the cure. It represents the cure. And you can think of it like a little piece of medicine. What medicine does, it's an expression of faith. When you take the medicine, you are believing the doctor who told you that was going to help your situation. And I'm going to invite you today, if you're not yet a Christian, if you are willing to believe that Jesus can cure you, you can take this little piece of bread and you can take this cup And today, for the first time, by doing that, it's an expression of faith that you believe that the doctor can cure you. Now hear me very, very carefully. The bread and the cup won't actually cure you. They won't save you. But they're a symbol that allow you to exercise faith. And if you're willing to stick with the metaphor, we're going to distribute some medicine. If you don't think you need any medicine, don't take any. But if you think your life needs to be rescued, this medicine was provided by Jesus. He died and was raised from the dead so that he could have the power to cure you. And if today you've come and said, my life needs to be cured, I invite you for the first time, take a piece of bread, take a cup. They won't save you. But the faith you're expressing by doing that will. Second, if you're already a believer, You'll have a chance to take a piece of bread and a cup. What I want you and I to do while we hold that bread and cup, I want you to think about in just a minute, we're going to actually eat that. And again, you can think of it like medicine. There's no power necessarily in it. The power comes from the obedience. But you can know that when you leave here today and you go back to work or you go to school for a couple of days this week, or you hang out with family at Thanksgiving, I want you to be, to be reminded that you are taking with you Jesus. That when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are putting the medicine inside of you, the immunization that you need, that you can go and spend time with those who are actively in rebellion against God, and you can be an agent of healing to them. I want you to remember when you go to Thanksgiving dinner or you go back to school or you go back to work or into the neighborhood where there are outcasts and where there are sinners, that you have Jesus inside of you, the one who has the authority to forgive sins. And Jesus doesn't just want to hang out in his church. He wants to hang out at Levi's house. He wants to hang out with tax collectors and sinners. And the bread and the cup are the reminder that he is inside your heart if you've accepted him by faith. And when you go and spend time at Levi's house, you're taking Jesus with you. And you don't have to be afraid of sin. You don't have to be afraid of societal rejection. You don't have to be afraid of difficulty. You will be taking Jesus with you, the one who has authority on heaven and earth to forgive sins, the great physician, the great doctor. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Jesus says, I didn't come to call people who think they're righteous. 
but I did come because I want to go to people's houses and tell them, come and be saved.